Hey everybody, welcome back to Menchwarmers. I'm Jamie. Gabe's on the line with me. He's on vacation right now. Say hi, Gabe. Hey, I had to call in because I wanted to miss this party for the world. Yeah, we're going to keep it to a short one this week. Uh, as mentioned, Gabe's calling in over the phone. And as you might already be able to tell, my voice is a little strained. Uh, I had a bit of a softball mishap last week, Gabe. Jamie, I, I heard you took a uh, fly ball to the grill. Yeah. So, well, let me, let me tell the story. This is a little bit of a personal Jewish sports news, I guess. So we, you and I, or, or I, at least you, you seem to have abandoned the team this year, uh, just playing a recreational city softball league. Uh, sorry, uh, softball game on Friday nights. I was playing left field and it, you know, we were killing them. It was such a good game and I was having an excellent game. I like made great contact. I was so, you know, it, this is probably why I got hurt because I was cocky and I was in left field for an inning I made like two fly ball outs, which like, you know, they weren't like great fly balls or anything. It was just like, you've played rec league softball. Like any fly ball out is like, wow, someone caught a ball. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah. So we made the first two outs of the inning right away. And then another ball was hit sort of lightly towards me. And like, I would say like someone who was 50% faster than me could have made the play, but like, I just sort of realized I wasn't going to make it and sort of jogged in and, and our uh, fellow fellow mensch, uh, John Gruber, was playing center field, and he sort of jokingly said to me, uh, hey, why didn't you get that one? Because I just made the two previous plays. And I was like, oh, you know, I should have. I should have dove for it. A few okay. more batters. A few more batters go. And what do you know? Another ball is hit into left field, but it's like a looping ball to shallow left center. And I get a good jump on it. I'm like, well, okay, this one I can actually make. You know, it's a hard hit ball coming in pretty hard. And I ran as hard as I could for it and just totally misplayed it. Totally misread it put my glove up. It didn't hit my glove or maybe it barely touched my glove and smacked me right in the lower left part of my mouth. And, uh, it was bad. So, oh, no. uh, yeah, it's my own fault. No lost teeth. One of them was a bit loose and, uh, I had some stitches in my mouth and some of my teeth are, are sort of braced. Like there's like braces on a few of my teeth. Uh, but, oh, wow. but ho- hopefully nothing permanent. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be playing softball again for, for a little while at least. And, uh, and, and nothing permanent. So, so that's why my mouth is, uh, my voice is a little messed up and, uh, hopefully we'll be back to normal in a few weeks when we're back for our next episode. Okay. That's good to know. And, and I think this is a week of, of, uh, pain and suffering, but, as we know, as Jews, we have to go through the pain and suffering in order to get to the joy. So, well, you, you, you've got the joy. You're on, you're on vacation in the incredibly goyish uh, uh, confines of Cape Cod. That's exactly right. I've been in Cape Cod for the last few days with a brief sojourn before to the Newport Folk Festival. My father okay, and I that... believe, other, other than his friend, we were the only Jews at the Newport Folk Festival. Presumably Fink, Bob Dylan maybe. And um, I know people believe that there was a really uh, uh, difficult, Bob Dylan did a really controversial thing at the folk festival in 1964, but I'm choosing to believe that it was be Jewish was the controversial thing (laughs) because after being there, it really seemed like that was the strangest thing you could be at the festival. I don't know. I feel like a folk festival, you know, there's going to be some words that are going to come out of my mouth a little bit more, more difficultly today. I think a folk festival has a relatively high uh, Jews per capita, like compared to other summertime activities, like compared to like a monster truck rally or a rodeo or a state fair. I feel like folk festival is, is in our wheelhouse to a certain degree. You know? 
You'd think so for many of them. <laughs> but unfortunately, not necessarily in the Jewish, I don't know, it's the opposite of a haven, the Jewish hell of Newport, Rhode Island. We're seeing a person right. who wasn't blonde was like a thing that made people turn their heads on the street. Right. And like, is there, you is should there, have seen my is, dad, my dad walking around in a hot tuna t-shirt. Really confused <laughs> people. I can picture it now. Um, is Cape Cod, I feel like Cape Cod is not particularly a Jewish vacation spot. Like, I, I guess Jews from Boston have probably gone there, but I always think of the Catskills and other things as being more the Hampton oh, yeah. and more Jewish. I don't think it is. Although, I was in Provincetown today. And Provincetown oh, yeah. is known as a very, very festive place. Um, to put it one way. You know, it's not 1989. You don't need to like use euphemisms here. <laughs> Fine. Uh, it's got a very large and proud gay community. And I heard a yeah. lot of people speaking Hebrew. Yeah, there you go. That's great. There's also what I thought was really clever, a store for uh, a clothing store for androgynous people that was called Boy Chick. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's very clever, yeah, actually. Uh, maybe, well, maybe. A, well, I don't want to wade too far into this uh, and, and to any conversations here, but boy chick might be the perfect, uh, you know, androgynous pronoun for the future. I think so. I think so. I think um, maybe one day uh, there'll be a, a sister podcast or a sister brother podcast in the CJN podcast network uh, dealing with gender identity called boy chick. <laughs> Well, as we said, we're going to keep it relatively short today. Uh, before we get into our main topic for the day, I should, uh, should recognize, as always, that we are, of course, brought to you by the CJN Podcast Network, uh, Canadian Jewish News, available at cjnews.com. Um, we are available on Facebook and the CJN Podcast uh, Facebook page and at Twitter at the Menchwar- at, at Menchwarmers. Reach out and uh, always great to have your feedback. Now, uh, Gabe, this is, you know, really the dog days of summer. Uh, the baseball all-star game is coming gone. Golf ma- majors are gone. You know, the U.S. Open, I guess, is coming up for tennis in a couple of weeks. That's something to look forward to. And, uh, you know, until football, basketball, hockey start up again, it's just sort of lazy days of summer. Not a lot to check in on in terms of sports news. No, especially uh, Jewish sports news, because we know that there aren't a ton of, uh, uh, we have talked about some Jews in baseball sort of ad nauseum, and there isn't necessarily a lot of new development. But there was one, one item that caught, that caught my attention the other day. It was the, uh, I, think, I think it was on the occasion of the anniversary of uh, the uh, Lubavitcher rabbi's death. I can't remember what, what anniversary it was, but uh, former NBA player Lamar Odom posted on Facebook a picture of uh, the, the, the Rebbe's grave and talked and, you know, talked about his lessons that he learned from the Rebbe and uh, everything, everything he gained from the Chabad music. That's right. Lubavitch Rabbi, Rebbe Menachem Schneerson. Uh, That's right. famous. Lamar Odom is famously from Queens, as well as Rabbi Schneerson and his Kaver is still currently in Queens, close to Lamar's home. So uh, Lamar Odom put down the herbal Viagra and put on the uh, the yarmulke and went and gave a prayer. Yeah, so that was a fun story. I mean, I don't know exactly what the details are. Like you said, there might be a neighborhood connection, and, and maybe there's a connection there between you know Lamar and someone who is just you know from Queens, or, or maybe he knew Lubavitchers growing up. 
but as you said, Lamar Odom is not really someone we associate with like deep spiritual thought or exploration so much as, uh, yeah, almost killing himself by overdosing on some sort of herbal Viagra and, uh, being married or engaged to one of the Kardashian sisters. But uh, that, that gave us the idea to look into a few other examples of non-Jewish athletes. So we're not, we're not talking about Menches per se, but uh, Mensch-adjacent uh, non-Jewish athletes. And these aren't our Mike Jacobs all-stars who we've talked about a lot, which is athletes who you might think are Jewish who, who aren't. This is sort of the opposite of that. These are non-Jewish athletes who might think they're Jewish. Right. So non-Jewish athletes who have, who have uh, interacted with Judaism in different ways. So we found a few other stories that we want to talk about. A few of these are older, some of them are more recent. Um, the first one we found going back a while is uh, about Reggie White, who was, you know, the sort of uh, minister of defense, a, a legendary uh, defensive lineman. You know, I think he had the record for sacks for a long time until Strahan broke it, right? Um, I think that's but, right. But he, he died at a young age, uh, tragically, one of what was likely, you know, football-related death. But we found an old article on Yahoo Sports that said Reggie White, uh, before he died, was studying the Torah. And, and was he studying the Torah for, like, a, a spiritual reason, or was he studying the Torah because he just wanted to study the Torah? Like, was, it, was the Torah a specific thing that he was interested in? Yeah, apparently his study was quite in-depth, and it wasn't just trying to understand the Bible and what it said, but really going deep into the language itself. Um, apparently he poured himself into learning Hebrew, and Hebrew at the time that it was spoken in the biblical time, so that he could understand the Bible in, in, the, original, in the original writing, that he could understand the original Torah, and uh, it was a way that he sort of... Uh, was trying to get some spiritual peace, I, I think, and, and to learn as much about it as he could. So interesting story. I mean, uh, unfortunately, he, he died before he was able to sort of take his studies to another level, as far as we can tell. It's not clear where they went, but uh, certainly an interesting story about a, a, you know, a football great being involved in Judaism. And another, another football-related story is a story from just a couple of years ago about former Pittsburgh Steeler, current Oakland Raider, Antonio Brown, who bought a Miami mansion for $6.6 million. And what did that mansion have in it, Gabe? Tell me. Uh, let me guess. Let me guess. Let me guess. Uh, a Torah? Not a Torah, but it did have a fully functional sy- sy- uh, synagogue in it. Uh, he didn't wow. really... No real explanation of who he bought it from, but, you know, obviously plenty of Jewish millionaires in Miami. Uh, this is a nice pad that he bought for himself back in 2016. I believe he still owns it, and uh, it has a full synagogue in it. There's pictures of it. I mean, it's quite nice. It's a beautiful mansion. Uh, there's, you know, there's a bima with with Hebrew writing and and uh, which we call it the chandeliers and things like that. And uh, he was asked about it by by Complex magazine. And here's what Antonio Brown said: I got a lot of Jewish friends, and a synagogue, synagogue is where you bless up. So it's a good place to ha- hang. I you know I assume he he has Jewish uh, Jewish hangers on an agent or what have you. And, and it's good to have a synagogue at home. Uh, that's true. <laughs> to, to Who do we think people. Antonio Brown's Jewish friends are? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I don't think there are any Jewish members of the Pittsburgh Steelers. There's obviously a large Jewish Pittsburgh community. We've talked about that before, but he's not there anymore. Maybe Mark, Mark Davis. Mark Davis is Jewish, is the owner of the Oakland Raiders. That's true, the owner of the Oakland Raiders. But the house is in Miami, so you wonder maybe he's got a Mickey Arison connection somewhere. Thinking of uh, right. Miami Jews and sports, um, yeah, this is a, this is a tough question because I'm not entirely sure 
I mean, we don't know a lot about Antonio Brown's personal life or his Jewish life, so we'll have to take him at his word that he's got a lot of Jewish friends that come over to pray, I guess. Just a bless up. Yeah. Let's say your buddy, you know, you had a non-Jewish friend. Okay, this non-Jewish friend is very successful in his chosen field. And he said, Jamie, you got to come over to my house. I got this great, I got a great new house. I want to have you over. And you went over and he went, hey, here's my synagogue. Do you like it? How would you react? <laughs> I feel like this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Why do you have a synagogue? You're right. I mean, exactly. I, I, I'd be very impressed by it. I, I would assume that he didn't build it himself and that he just inherited it from somebody else, which is the case in Antonio Brown. But like, I would definitely be taken by it. And like, I think, I think it's, it's unfortunate that I hope, I hope that he uses it for something beyond just sitting, you know, just having it to be a, like, you know, you should use it as part of a functional space. But I feel like once, once you <laughs> set up the space in synagogue, it's hard to convert it into something else, like maybe a home theater or something like that. Right. You have the pews used for something. And you could use it as a chapel. I don't, I don't know how religious he is, um, but uh, you could use it as any kind of chapel. But it would be very cool. That bima could be any kind of day. Yeah. Uh, on to our next, next non-Jew, uh, we have the very uh, well-known cheater and very poor baseball announcer, Alex Rodriguez, who uh, gave, gave, I know you're a big fan of, of his current relationship. Oh, I love with, it, Rod. Uh, you, you're a big fan of his current relationship with Jennifer, Jennifer Lopez. Uh, she stopped by Baseball Tonight the other day, the Sunday, or not Baseball Tonight, the Sunday Night Baseball broadcast that he does and brought him a cake that nobody ate, which is very funny. Um, it was, it was his 50th birthday and, uh, oh. yeah. 50? yeah, so she, she looks amazing. It's unbelievable. How, oh, how, she's how she 50. 50. He's not 50. I don't believe a Rod. No, no, you're right. You're right. He's not 50. It was, it was like his 43rd birthday or something like that. Right. Maybe that older. We're going to have our producer fact check this one. Anyways, you may recall that before JLo, uh, one of the people that A-Rod dated was Madonna and Madonna famously, associated with uh new age kabbalah learning and there was a period where a-rod had been spotted at the uh, hollywood kabbalah center going in and doing some kabbalah study so despite not being wow. jewish not really having any uh kabbalah you know being a sort of esoteric thing even within the jewish world uh a-rod was studying it for a bit at least with madonna and we we factor a-rod is for, 44 years old so I assume that's an auspicious number. We'll need some of our Kabbalistic uh, numerology st students to uh, inform us of the, the significance of his 44 years. So it's interesting you say that, because at the time we are recording right now, uh, Mr. A-Royd, Alex Rodriguez himself, put out an Instagram today. And the Instagram, oh, yeah. he is leaning over a hotel room balcony over the beach of Tel Aviv, with the caption, the motherland, Israel. And there's the emoji of the Israeli flags. First time here. Oh, wow. Period. I'm in love. Hashtag energy off the chart. That's great. Okay, so an even more recent connection between Israel, sorry, between Alex Rodriguez and the Jewish people. Uh, Alex Rodriguez, not Jewish. Not Jewish as far as we can tell. Uh, like, like some Jews spends too much time in Miami, uh, that, and sometimes that gets him in trouble. That's gotten him in trouble in the past, but, uh, not Jewish, but Jew, Jew adjacent in a few ways. Well, A-Rod, I believe my understanding is I see a new post of A-Rod with his daughters that j -Lo has a show in Tel Aviv tomorrow and, oh, okay. uh, and he, they're there for the show watching the 
rehearsal, sort of taking in the sights, seeing all the people. Uh, his final caption is, quote, what an amazing time we are having on my first trip to Israel. The people have been wonderful and have such energy. I will definitely be back and recommend visiting this incredible country. Heart. How many of you have been to Israel and how was your experience? And that post currently has 4,619 comments. Wow. I wonder, I wonder when, when a celebrity or like an influencer, someone who has like a lot of engagement on social media, like asks for replies. It's like, are you, I understand the idea of like wanting to generate like, you know, commentary and like a discussion or something like that. Engagement. Right. But it's like, is anyone from their team being like, oh man, I can't like, I want to know if they're like social media managers, like, oh man, I can't believe they did an engagement post. Now I have to read all these replies. (laughs) I have to go through these stupid things. Cause like, we're going to do some other bit with, you know, what the feedback was or something like that. Or is is somebody going to go to a run and say, here are the five most interesting stories of people said of their time in Israel. I got to figure that all these people have like, have like a phone that you know, it doesn't get alerts or anything like that. Like they're, they're not reading their comments or mentions or anything like that because it's like, there's just too much. Right. But I'm saying like, there might be right. something genuinely interesting, right? Like there might be something that, that A-Rod would actually like to know from people out there, from his fans or from other, you know, just the general public. And it's like, how could he possibly engage with people without get, just getting like 99% of the comments being inane nonsense? Where else is help. he going to get a recommendation? Where else is he going to get a recommendation for a really good hummus bar on the beach in Tel Aviv? He won't find it otherwise. He's got him to hear from the people who live in Israel. Yeah, exactly. He needs a local flavor. Well, moving on to our last uh, story that we have now of a, a Jew-adjacent or Judaism-adjacent uh, athlete. This is a story from the Jerusalem Post from 2015. And it's about a Hebrew tattoo on the arm of one NBA champion, former MV- MVP, Steph Curry. Future Hall now, of Famer, Steph Curry. Certainly. So... It says that Steph Curry's uh, mother had been studying Hebrew for five years, and he and his wife, Aisha, uh, got matching tattoos that read, Love Never Failed to Be. And that is written in Hebrew, and that's from the Bible. But interestingly, that Bible verse is from 1 Corinthians, which, of course, is uh, one, of the books, one of the books of the New Testament. It's not a Tanakh, and- it's, a, it's a Bible. I looked this up before. The first Corinthians was originally written, uh, as the name would imply, Corinth, obviously, a city in, city in Greece. Uh, it, it was originally written in Greece, in Greek. There's no reason to think it, you know, it was ever in Hebrew or anything like that. And it never would have been translated into Hebrew, like, for tra- typical study, because, you know, Jews don't follow the New Testament. Like, and, and even, like, a Jew who is interested in the New Testament, I don't think would be necessarily that interested in Corinthians, which I feel like <laughs> is just the book that people use, like, verses from to read at people's wedding. So for whatever reason, whatever reason, he got it translated into Hebrew and tattooed on his arm. In your life of going to Hebrew school and growing up, did you ever have, and did anyone ever discuss Corinthians in any way? No. Like, I I think there probably would have been some, maybe at some level, there was some acknowledgement that like, yes, there are other books of the Bible that, you know, Christian people read and think are holy and that describe the life and times of Jesus and things around that. But no one would have been like, and one of those books is Corinthians, which again, as far as I know, just (laughs) contains like sappy love poetry. And I'm basing that on like seeing people read it at weddings in TV shows and movies and nothing else. No No one has ever mentioned like, do you know what I mean? Like, you know how, like, people read, like, the Book of Job? Because it's, like, 
it's a good book. Like Time put it on their list of like 100 best novels or something like that. But no one was like, you should read Corinthians for your edification and like to understand religion better. Yeah, oh, of course. Um, and I, I don't think, I don't think anybody says to, you know, oh, you never hear your rabbi say, remember Corinthians, we hear that, that, that Corinth tells us not to be greedy or whatever. No, it, it, you hear it at, at sort of the sappy, non-religious times. Right, exactly. It's not exactly the Sermon on the Mount. But why Hebrew? Why would Seth do it in Hebrew? I have no idea. It wasn't really clear. I mean, it just sort of said, you know, his mom had been learning it. And I, 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 I feel like there, there might be a, you know, sort of, not, not exactly a fetishization, but like this idea that like, oh, it's a spiritual language or something like that. And like, okay, it is. But it's sort of funny. Like, uh, you know, I, I feel like no one these days, no, no North American person these days is getting Chinese symbols tattooed on their arms the way they might have like 15 or 20 years ago. And this feels very akin to that, where it's just like, I can't read it. I don't know what it means, but it looks cool. And like, it, it, it's sort of spiritual. And like, it just, <laughs> it, it seems a little outdated. And uh, I don't know. I mean, Steph, Steph Curry is like a, is like a n- notably corny guy. So it, it's possible this is just fitting with his brand of being a very corny dude. I mean, getting, getting matching love, tat- love tattoos with your wife is pretty corny in the first place. And I say this as a wife, as a, as a wife guy. Especially in a religion you're not a part of. In the language right. of a religion you're not a part of. Uh, it's interesting you bring that up as a sort of a lovey-dovey uh, part of Corinthians. My um, bar mitzvah portion, I didn't understand this at the time, but this is a totally true story. My whole bar mitzvah portion from uh, Samuel, the, the book of Samuel, was just a long list of how King David bought and sold all of his concubines and what his concubine did with him, it would be like, oh, and King David laid with Bathsheba, and it was good. And then King David laid with Elisheva, and it was good. And then King David laid with Jezebel of Bethlehem, and it was good. And that was my whole Barrett proportion. And I didn't know what it all meant at the time, but apparently my grandfather thought it was the funniest <laughs> thing I'd ever heard in his life. That's great. I respect. I respect that nobody really understood it except probably like the rabbi and and like a few old guys who know every parsha and we're just like, yeah, this, I, this is the sexy part of the of, of the of the haftorah here. Right, exactly. This is the fucked up haftorah. That's exactly the muftier. A muftier. We're told by our our uh, more educated producer, correcting our correcting our our liturgy uh, uh, lit- liturgical Judaism. Yeah. There, there's some parts, I mean, there's lots of parts of the Bible that have a lot of sex in them. I feel like that's the part that, you know, is, is more exciting when you're a kid. You just got to dig and find it. That's like every, every part of the Bible that like features in a Leonard Cohen song is like from the real sexy parts of the Bible. <laughs> yeah. And it's, well, it's something you don't hear like that often, you know, you don't, you hear about Abraham and you hear about David, but you don't be like, oh yeah, there's just a list of David's concubines. Yeah, he was the king. Kings had concubines back then. Um, and they make like a 12 year old kid while the rabbi shoves his hands into his face <laughs> and hopes that, hopes that the kid doesn't really understand it too much in his after us. Well, it's good to be the king, as Mel Brooks once said. Um, yeah, I guess. I think, I think we should call it there. Uh, I'm sort of at the end of how much I can talk without, without biting into my lip too much. Uh, hopefully I'm back to no full worries. strength, full fighting strength and off the canvas in a few weeks. I have one more, um, uh, a story of a Jewish athlete I think we should follow. I went to a Cape Cod League baseball game the other night. 
Oh yeah, tell our tell our listeners a little bit about what the Cape Cod League is. Yeah, so I saw a game Harwich versus um, Chatham, two towns in Cape Cod. The Cape Cod Baseball League is an NCAA affiliated wood bat baseball league. For those who don't know, uh, NCAA baseball, very high level baseball, is played with metal bats. So it's slightly easier than the game you'd see players play uh, in the major leagues or in the minor leagues. But the most elite NCAA players are recruited to play in what's called the Cape Cod League, where all of these towns in Cape Cod each have a local team. Players bill it with, uh, with local families. They're not paid, but they play in a wood bat league that's a level higher than their NCAA baseball. And, uh, yeah. and they get ex- experience facing the best pitchers, the best hitters, sort of like an all-star league of the entire NCAA. There's eight or so teams. And on one of the games, the team I saw, uh, there was a guy named Michael Rothenberg, who is hey, that the sounds pretty Jewish. Catcher. It does sound quite tribal. Uh, just um, a little backpack. Michael Rothenberg is uh, from Boca Raton, Florida. Oh, come on. You had, you had me at Boca. He is son of Mark and Susanna Rothenberg. Uh, and his no brother more. goes to his brother Matt and a sister Ariel, and his brother goes to Harvard. So okay. I don't really need to hear much more about about our our new buddy Boca Mike, <laughs> and we'll be following Boca Mike uh, just because I feel connected to him. He's a sophomore Duke. He's six three two ten. That's about Jamie's size. So that's one of the larger Jews I've ever known. Uh, that's that's Jamie before Jamie found food and alcohol size. <laughs> so we'll find we'll find Mike. We'll follow his career through the next few years. Hopefully he gets drafted and stay along. Maybe he'll have a career like Tommy Jew, but be actually Jewish. Uh, sure. and, and we'll follow so, him along. Just a- are the Cape Cod League players? Are they guys who uh, who are going to get who could get drafted next year? Is that how it is? It's like they're they're sophomores, freshmen. Yes, so some of them have already been drafted but not signed um, okay. because they're looking for a higher position or just can, like want to continue to go back to college instead of being drafted or instead of signing after being drafted. Um, so there's a lot. There were a couple of kids uh, from the Vanderbilt uh, College World Series winning team in the league I was reading right. about who have been drafted already but elected to go back for the championship or maybe mm-hmm. to repeat um, before signing with their teams. There was actually – but it's also – a league for players to sort of a showcase with wood bats for scouts who are about to get drafted. So they either get drafted at the st- during the Cape Cod League season, at which point if they choose to sign, they'll stop playing, or they'll get drafted next season, like you said earlier. Uh, there was a guy we saw who was incredibly wild. Uh, he had some goyish name, Austin Watson or Austin Vanderbilt or something. Uh, and sure. he was six foot seven and two hundred and ninety pounds and he threw the ball ninety seven miles an hour. And it was a oh, tiny wow. ballpark and when he threw it, people would like gasp. This dude was a unit. That's a big uh, boss. And then he he hit two batters during that inning. And uh, both of them looked like it was a lot of pain and I went up it's like a city park, right? There's no real beer. Right. You know, there's just people hanging out watching. So I went up to the guy on deck and I said, Hey man, what's it like going to face a guy who's this big? And he looked at me and went not fun. <laughs> well, we'll have to keep keep an eye out for more information about Boca Mike, and uh, maybe re- we'll reach out to him and and get some you know a confirmation that he's Jewish. But I think we're pretty pretty good there. And if not, he's a real he's a real Mike J- Mike Jacobs all star with that background. 
There's a hint to our, uh, our producer, Alex, to reach out to the Duke media office to see if Boca Mike wants to be on our podcast. <laughs> yeah, or maybe there's some good uh, Duke lacrosse uh, Jewish players we can talk about. We, we're always looking for Jews in, in, the freaks, in the freak sports to thought, think about a little bit. Let's leave it there for today. We'll be back in a few weeks. Uh, again, follow us, as always, on Facebook and Twitter, Menschwarmers, CJN Podcast Network. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, and if you guys know any other stories of non-Jewish athletes who have engaged in Judaism in one way, whether it's a stupid tattoo, Torah study, or something else, uh, feel free to reach out and let us know. We're always looking for, for more information. And anything interesting, we'll put it on the air. Please do. We'd love to hear it. Uh, and uh, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.